We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So this last week, Bethany and I were kind of retelling some stories to our son. He was asking a lot of questions about, well, how do you know when uh, God's doing this or that? And so the best way we knew to answer that deep theological question was to just tell stories. And so we started retelling stories about uh, different seasons in our life when we were in kind kind of some tough financial spots, right? And so we were going through this, and we were telling the story of how God provided in the midst of all those seasons. And so a lot of that time was around this season when we, the five of us in our family, were living in an apartment and we made $17,000 that whole year and we didn't have a need for anything. God provided everything. And we look back on that season actually with a lot of fondness uh, and there was a lot of things that really uh, just were beautiful and drew us closer into uh, each other as a family, but also closer into God and who he is and his provision. And then at another point in the last week, we were sitting in our hot tub in the backyard and we were looking around and we we're like, look how far we've come from that season, right? Like we're sitting in a hot tub in our huge backyard, looking on this beautiful deck with these string lights that we put up and uh, drinking hand. We're just like, look at this. Look at us now. Who would have thought back then that here we would be enjoying the finer things in life? And then I was like, it's an inflatable hot tub that we got <laughs> on clearance at Walmart for 170 bucks. The deck we built ourselves out of free pallets. Um, we're actually enjoying the just fine things in life. <laughs> Not the finer things, the just fine things. But we're good with that, right? Like we're, what, we're, what we were saying is in that moment, like this is still so much more than a lot of people have, number one. And number two, like, we're enjoying, like, this is good. This is a good life that God has given to us, that he's blessed us with that we, we could not have, right? And so I just, I'm curious, like, if you were to close your eyes and imagine for yourself what the good life looks like, what would that be? And let's just take a moment and do that. If you were to think for a moment, what would the good life look like for you? So maybe for some of you, you are picturing a a real hot tub that's like built in, right? Maybe you're you're picturing a a nice home. Maybe you're picturing a vacation on the beach, toes in the sand, drink in the hand, right? The weather's beautiful. Maybe you're picturing uh, work and and doing good work. And maybe it's, it's something with your hands and you're able to see something that you create and built with your own hands and see the final product. Maybe it's you're doing something through your work that is blessing other people around you. It's giving back to your community. And that's the good life. Maybe it's you, you hit a certain point in your age and you look around and you go, I'm surrounded by people I love and people who love me. And nothing else matters. That is the good life. Whatever it is you're picturing right now is the good life for yourself. I'm willing to bet it's none of the things that Jesus listed in the Beatitudes. I'm willing to bet as you close your eyes and you pictured the good life, you didn't think about being needy, being poor in spirit, 
you probably didn't picture hunger pangs and thirsting after something or being humbled before other people, right? You probably didn't picture having to be given mercy or showing mercy to people who have wronged you. You probably didn't picture persecution, I'm willing to bet, as part of the good life. A lot of people argue whether uh, Jesus gave eight or nine. Uh, some people can say 10. I don't know where that one comes from. I'm not great at counting, but I don't see it in here. Uh, well, there's eight or nine of these, and, and I don't think it really matters, right? But what's interesting is there was another Jesus before the Jesus we worship who gave uh, nine or possibly 10 Beatitudes. Yeshua Bar Ben Sarah, I think. Yeshua Ben Sarah, or Jesus, right? Jesus of Sarah, wherever that is, I don't know. Uh, but there's, uh, there's writings, there's, there's these uh, Old Testament era writings that he has. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but this was a, a Jewish teacher. He was a scribe during the Hellenistic era, which just means uh, during the time when Greece was in power, they were in control. And he wrote down in the book of Ben Sirach, chapter 25, he said, I could think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth my tongue proclaims. And he starts naming them. These, these are what uh, he sees people who are blessed as. A man who can rejoice in his children, right? A man who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Yeah, that would be blessed. The man who lives with a sensible wife. Agreed. The one who doesn't plow with ox and donkey together. I don't know why that matters, but that, you're blessed if you don't have them mixed up there. Uh, the one who does not sin with the tongue. Okay, that one, that one makes sense to me. The one who has not served an inferior. Like how blessed is the person who doesn't have to serve someone who's beneath them, right? Uh, the one who finds a friend and who speaks to attentive listeners. I, I listened to that. I was like, Do we, are, am I going to have attentive listeners today? I don't know. I'm feeling very blessed right now. Uh, the one who finds wisdom, right? But none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. That's his 10th one there. A couple of those I can get down with, right? A couple of those I think even Jesus might be able to. But a lot of the other ones sound very much in stark contrast to what Jesus said. Those, those are probably things people heard. They're like, yeah. Of course, the one who, who doesn't have to serve someone beneath them. I think that would, would have fit in very well with their culture at that time. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he starts making these outrageous claims that not just for us, that for the people sitting there in that moment would have been like, are you for real? What are you talking about? And, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And blessed are the meek or the humble. And blessed are those who are persecuted. And all these things that people have been like, that doesn't sound like the good life to me. Because that is really what he's saying with that word. We've, we've translated it with this word blessed. And then we've asked the question, like, what does that really mean? In our culture, we use that for a lot of different things, right? Hashtag blessed. Like, bless up, brother. But... What does it really mean? And so a lot of translations will say happy. Happy is the one. And for our English language, like 
If you're trying to get a word to fit it, that's not bad. But it, what it's actually getting at is you have the good life when you experience this. Life is really good for the one who is persecuted. Wait, what? Life is really good for you when you are poor in spirit, when you recognize a poverty and a deep need. Life is really good for you when you have to show mercy to someone who's wronged you. And it suddenly starts to feel almost as uncomfortable as when I invited you guys to come sit in a room and talk about politics, doesn't it? It starts to feel like there's something not jiving here, Jesus. What are you talking about? How, how is that the good life? How can that possibly be good for anybody? And I think a lot of times what happens is we hear this list and we start to think like, these are things I need to become more like so that I can be blessed by God, right? Maybe it's an intern. Like maybe if I do these things and I become these things, then God will pour the blessings on me and I'll experience a good life. And so I just need to humble myself more. And I just need to figure out what in the world poor in spirit means and become that somehow, right? I, I, I need to show mercy to this person in my life, even though I really don't want to, so that I will get my blessings. And I don't think Jesus is actually naming off a checklist here. That here's what you need to do in order to become a blessed person. I think rather what he's doing is he's naming a reality that people already live in. And this is why I backed up to the end of chapter four, because who followed Jesus up to that mountain? Who were the crowds that Jesus saw when he sat down and started teaching? It was people who were sick and afflicted with disease, people who were suffering from epilepsy, it said, various intense pains, demon-possessed, paralyzed, Sick, people who were likely poor and outcasts sent away from their community because people didn't want to get their sickness on them. And those are the people sitting there after Jesus has healed them, after he's preached good news to them and welcomed them. No other religious leader would do that. They would send them away. He's healed them. He's given them good news and hope. And he's welcomed them. Those are the people that he's saying, hey, listen, the good life is for those who are in spirit. He's acknowledging a felt reality that they have. They are poor in spirit. What, what does that mean? It's, it's, we know what poor means, right? This poverty, this need. And it's a felt need, a, a reality that in your own self, in your very spirit, you lack. You don't have what you need in order to experience the blessing of the spirit. Jesus is saying, you, you all know this well sitting here. You have felt poor in spirit. He says, you, you know what it is to mourn because you've lost much. You know what it means to be made humbled and low around those people who 
you actually care about the most. You know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now we hear that word, that's another word in our English uh, vocabulary we have to translate a little bit, right? Because we hear hunger and thirst for righteousness. What do you think right away? What does that mean? To desire righteousness, so the righteousness. I'll tell you what I, what I would automatically go to, okay? So you don't have to feel bad for saying something and I tell you how it's wrong. I'll tell you how I was wrong. I, I would go to righteousness, meaning like, oh, I need to like be holy and I need to make sure that I am like doing all the right things so God would approve of me, right? But that's not actually what this word righteousness means. It's, it's closer to, and many of us have heard this before, a right standing in relationships. Imagine the people who have been cast out from their community because of some type of sickness, because they were afraid, if you're near me, I'll get that too. And it must have happened to you because you were sinful and God's punishing you. And so you deserve to be cast out. Those people are hungering and thirsting for right relationships with their mothers and fathers their brothers and sisters, their best friend they grew up playing with, with with their community. They hunger and thirst after right relationships with the people around them. Jesus is saying, you know that well. You know what it looks like to desire for people to show you mercy and yet to have that withheld. This is the felt reality. And Jesus is saying, the good life is for you. What Jesus is doing is is the very first people hearing the message of the kingdom of God coming down to earth. The very first people receiving that are the people who need it the most. Jesus is coming and saying, I know that life has been broken. It's been hard. It's been a mess. But I'm telling you, The good life has come. Why? Because Jesus has already said, repent and believe the good news that the kingdom of heaven is here. This is him filling out what that means. Good news to all those who are brokenhearted, all those who are poor in spirit, all those who desire mercy, all those who hunger and thirst for right relationships. Good news, the kingdom of heaven, the good life has now come for you and you are welcomed in. I heard uh, some people say, if you're looking for Jesus, look for communities that look like this list of Beatitudes. If you're looking for Jesus, look for a community that looks like this. And I, I think there's probably something to that because Jesus often talked about, hey, I didn't come to heal the healthy and the well, like it's the sick who need a doctor. This is who I've come to. Jesus wasn't born into a high status of being a religious elite, right? A Pharisee or or someone who was well off, who who could go in and teach at the temple. Jesus was born to a poor family in the equivalent of Yuma, Nazareth. Can anything good come out of there? Sorry for anyone from Yuma. Jesus was, was born in a place of need. And he surrounds himself with the people who are in need. He says things even like, it's harder 
for a rich person to enter the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So if we're looking to see Jesus, we we look for communities who know, they experience, they feel a real need for this good news. Now, what does that mean for us who are enjoying the finer things in life right now or or the just fine things, right? Let's face it, like if you're able to buy an inflatable hot tub from Walmart for 170 bucks, you're still doing better than like 80% of the people in the world. So does that mean like this message isn't for us? Again, Jesus is speaking to a reality. For the people here, it was a felt reality. Maybe for some people in this room, myself included, we mask that reality often, right? We, we, we do everything we can to try not to feel it. We do everything we can to distract ourselves with comforts and cares of this world so we don't feel poor in spirit. And when we're sitting there by ourselves in the quiet and in the silence and the anxiousness starts to well up in ourselves, we pick up our phone and we start scrolling to soothe ourselves because we don't want to feel that poor in spirit, right? That, That when we start to hunger and thirst for something, we get on Amazon and we order it so it can show up today or tomorrow. That when, when we recognize that we need mercy, instead we tell ourselves a narrative that it's these other toxic people in our lives and we just have to cancel them and shut them out because they're not affirming everything that I say. Right? We, we, we do a really good job of not feeling this need. Jesus is not saying that if you're comfortable in life, because you make a lot of money, this message isn't for you. What he's actually doing is he's inviting all of us to come and see this reality. It's true for every single one of us. Every single one of us is poor in spirit. There is nothing you can do within your own self to be approved by God. There's nothing. Every single one of us has experienced mourning because this world is broken. And if we don't just skip over that part, right? If we, if we don't just like try to fill ourselves with other things so that we can distract ourselves from the mourning and move on to the next thing, then we'll sit and feel grief and mourning. Kind of like Jesus did when his friend Lazarus died. And Jesus knew exactly what he was gonna do when he got there. He knew he was gonna raise him back to life but he didn't skip over the mourning process, did he? He's very human. And he entered into that and he weeps. He wept with his friends and his family, recognizing this world is not the way it should be. Like how often do we sit and reflect on this world is not the way it should be? Now, Jesus is not calling us to wallow in self-pity either, right? He's not saying just like beat yourself up all the time. Only focus on the bad, <laughs> right? Just think about how terrible this place is and, and how terrible you are and how terrible the people around you are. That's not what he's saying at all. This is the reason why we share evidences of grace every Sunday because we hear enough and see enough 
of the brokenness out in the world. We need to remind ourselves that God is good and he is active and he is bringing the kingdom. And that's why Jesus is saying the good life is here for those who know that they need it. That's what the invitation is. Not not to sit and wallow, but to recognize we very much need good news. We need a God who will come and rescue us. The good life is for those who recognize that need. And here's the really good news is that Jesus, he comes and he enters in and he does every single one of these things. He feels and experiences these realities for himself in a human fleshly body. Jesus, who is the king over all of heavens and earth, he makes himself poor in spirit by taking on the form of not just a human, but one of the neediest and lowliest and servant-hearted humans. From the time of him being born as an infant, needing someone else to feed him, to the time of him being a grown man who said, I have no place to lay my head. He didn't have anything to call his own. The one who rules and reigns and owns all things in heaven and on earth made himself in complete poverty and in need. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And we just talked about how Jesus mourned at Lazarus' side, but he also, as he goes into the city of Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, he weeps over all of God's people there. He weeps over the temple. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He mourns for the brokenness of humanity. He says, blessed are the humble. And maybe your translation says meek, right? And what that means is is not somebody who's weak and lowly, but somebody who, though they have power, they willingly submit it to another. Jesus, the one who could have easily gotten off of that cross. The one who, as he was in the wilderness and Satan tempts him, like, hey, throw yourself off the cliff and command an army of angels to come and swoop you up and save you. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus submits his power in that moment. He could have done those things. The one who's sitting at a table with his followers, the ones who are learning from him, he gets down and he starts washing their dirty, disgusting feet as a servant would. The one who in the full image of God, as it says in Philippians, made himself in the likeness of man and became a servant even to the point of death. That's meekness. That's humility. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus, do you remember we, we just went over this a few weeks ago when he goes to the Jordan River and he sees John baptizing all these people. And he says, I want you to baptize me too. And John's like, what are you doing? You, you're already clean. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, this has to be done to fulfill all what? Righteousness. Jesus had a hunger and a thirst for righteousness all over the world that we would be made in right relationships with one another, but even more so that he would bring us back into right relationship with him. 
He desired that so much. He was willing to give everything for it. He said, blessed are the merciful. As Jesus hung on that torture device, wooden splinters digging into his skin, a crown of thorns digging into his brow. He had been beaten and whipped. And he looks out over all of them and he says, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. Showing mercy to those who did not deserve it. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. We know Jesus never sinned. He never rebelled against his father, even in the garden. Father, if there's any other way to do this, he wanted in his flesh something else. And he said, but not my will, yours. David, King David was called a man after God's own heart. But even he, given that name, like by God, God said this, he is a man after my own heart. Even he averted his eyes and went after something else that his flesh desired when he took Bathsheba, another man's wife. And to cover it up, he had that man killed. That's like the best king Israel ever had until Jesus, who truly is pure in heart. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is the prince of peace, Jesus. The one who would come and bring not peace, not quietness, but shalom, wholeness and restoration to all the earth. Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker who will be called sons of God, he says. He is the son of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is Jesus. If you want to see Jesus, look for people who emulate him. Find communities who recognize that we too That's who we are. And Jesus has made himself to be that in our place so that we can become blessed. This ultimate reversal, Jesus taking on the meekness and the humility and the suffering and the hunger and the thirst and the persecution so that we could take on this position of being sons and daughters of God, elevated into right standing with him so that the Father would welcome us into his kingdom. And this is just the start of his Sermon on the Mount. And so what we explore over the next coming weeks is this is how we actually live like that. This is what Jesus is calling us to recognize. And then he's gonna tell us, now here's how you live that way. And my prayer is, again, that we wouldn't even enter into that as, okay, here's a checklist, let's do our best to do it. But instead, that we would slow down and we would see our need. And we would see the reality that Jesus has come to bring the good life of the kingdom to those who recognize their need for it. Would you pray that we would be a community who does that with me right now?